right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time for that. Alright? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's going on? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. It's a Thursday. It's a beautiful day. The sun is shining. I still have my top engineers working on building a studio that can roll out so I can enjoy the sunshine while on the show. Till then, just here in the studio. Regular old boring studio. Nah, nothing boring about it. But another fun show coming up today here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. We're brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Graham Doran of Graham Doran Bracketology is going to join the show at 340 in the 4 o'clock hour. Uh, a little Chiefs talk, a little bit of a KU women's basketball talk as they went to Waco and took on Baylor uh, last night, and things did not go their way. We'll break that down a little bit coming up at the 4 o'clock hour. Also kind of want to give an overview of the Big 12 as a whole right now as we head into this weekend after uh, the this week of action, which KU didn't play. In the 5 o'clock hour, I wanted to get into some KU basketball superlatives to this point in the season, so kind of some fun conversation coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, KJ Adams spoke with the media just a few minutes ago. We're going to get to that audio in the 5 o'clock hour as well. Bill Self is actually speaking with the media right now, and uh, we'll probably get to that coming up on tomorrow's show. Uh, but a couple significant things he has already said just in the past few minutes right before we right before we came on the air here, most notably regarding Kevin McCuller off the top here. Uh, Bill Self saying that, Kevin, that he does not know if Kevin McCuller is going to be available for Saturday and that uh, Kevin McCuller has not been able to do anything this week. He said that today will probably determine if Kevin McCuller is able to play. So that is certainly significant uh, because that kind of furthers this conversation around Kevin McCuller and what his status is going to be going forward and how much can KU rely on him to be available from game to game. And I think it's safe to say that that is very much in question because this is your last chance. This is really your last chance if you're KU to have a week in which you only play one game and the fact that K- Kevin McCuller played on Saturday and now seemingly, from what from in, from Bill Self's own words, seemingly might not be able to play coming up on Saturday is, uh, is, is somewhat alarming, I would say. In fact, it might even be categorized as very alarming. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really stuck on this one because this is a situation where Kevin McCuller leads, t- technically still leads the conference in points per game right now. And you have the comments from Bill Self on Monday about is he basically going to have to deal with this for the rest of the season? And now you're to the point where you've had a week off and he just, it doesn't seem like it's getting significantly better but 
that is pretty alarming. That is pretty alarming to say the least. So uh, we'll we'll probably break more of that. We'll we'll break more of that down. Like I said, Bill Self is he is uh, speaking with the media is wrapping up speaking with the media basically right now as we speak. Uh, so we'll try to get to that audio coming up on uh, on tomorrow's show and uh, kind of dive deeper into everything that he says. But certainly the biggest thing there off the top is that Kevin McCuller may not be able to play coming up on Saturday against Texas. And, and again, I just think that really deepens this conversation because this is a guy that the idea was maybe if you just hold him out and you can get him fully healthy, but now that ship seems to have pretty much sailed at this point because he ends up playing on Saturday against Oklahoma, 35 minutes. And that seems to have derailed him for this whole week, basically. Which is, I'm sure, very, very frustrating internally, right? Uh, and for KU, I'm sure it's very frustrating as well because kind of going back to that discussion with, with Saturday's game against Oklahoma, Bill Self said postgame that he didn't think KU would win that game without Kevin McCuller and had some conversations earlier this week with basically the thought process of, hey, listen, if if Kevin doesn't play in that game, does KU have the confidence to make some of the adjustments they made on defense in the second half that really helped them turn the tide of that game? Like if it's, if it's Nick Timberlake and Marco Jackson and Jamari McDowell that you have to throw out there, are you, if you're the coaching staff for Kansas, are you confident enough in those guys to make those adjustments defensively at halftime that you can expect them to execute at a high level? So, I, I don't know. And that obviously brings into question this game against Texas because this game against Texas, and we'll, we'll talk more Texas certainly tomorrow as we, as we go deeper into previewing them, but, you know, this is a team that is definitely very talented. There's no question about that. And while they maybe haven't fully performed so far this season, there's no question that they are a talented team. And uh, Ken, Ken Palm still has them in the top 30, 30-ish. They're 32 in Ken Palm right now. But they, they have a talented squad. There's no doubt about it. And this is, a I, th- I think, a team that could be dangerous, especially if if Kevin McCuller does not end up playing uh, against Texas. And you have to wonder at this point if, if Kevin's unable to really, uh, you start to enter the territory of, is it worth even trying to play him, you know, on on a sort of a limited minute count versus just trying to rest him up potentially? So, also you're at home though, and you've been holding serve at home so far this season, which is which is certainly a huge positive. So maybe with that in mind, you can still take care of business without Kevin McCuller. But that that could be something very notable as uh, as KU heads into that game against Texas. So I didn't really plan on spending too much time on that, but with the comments from Self, I felt it was necessary because, again, you, you know, you're talking about one of your best players, seemingly unclear if he's able to play on Saturday, which is pretty significant. But uh, off the top here, one thing I did kind of want to talk about that we touched on a little bit is is Johnny Furphy sort of seemingly refinding his uh, shooting stroke, at least over the last couple games. And 
when you look around the conference at other freshmen, you start to realize Johnny Furphy is, is playing at a at a high level compared to freshmen around the Big Twelve. At a high enough level that maybe he sneaks into conversation sneaks into the conversation as Big Twelve freshman of the year. Which seems on its face to be a little bit crazy, but when you start to sort of examine it a little bit closer, you realize that he is, again, playing like one of the top freshmen in the conference. And when you look at some of his numbers in conference-only play, so I kind of broke this down in a couple different ways. If you look at only his starts in conference play, so he's he now made 11 starts in conference play. Okay, he's played 13 conference games. He has started in 11 of them, didn't start the first two. In his 11 starts in conference play, he's averaging 13.1 points per game. And in those 11 games, he is just under 36% from three at 21-59. If you lump in the first two conference games in which he did not start, the number drops to 12.1 points per game overall in in conference play. So uh, those are two games, obviously, that he didn't start. And when you look around the conference... The main competition in terms of what he's doing in conference-only play is Jacoby Walter, freshman from Baylor. I think Eves Misi is a guy that you might need to possibly start having a, a, a maybe a conversation about because he's certainly picked it up and has been effective for uh, for Baylor. Uh, again, when you when you look at his conference-only play stats, he's at eleven point six points per game. Five rebounds per game, one point two blocks per game. So I don't know. There's there's a case to be made overall for for Misi, who is eleven point six for the for conference only play, eleven point two for the season. So he's been pretty good for Baylor down the stretch here. Uh, I mean, he has he now has five straight games with double digit points, including twenty one when he when KU played Baylor. Back in Lawrence, and he's done. He's got 12 and 13, 12 points, 13 points, and 13 points in his last three games. But I mean, I think Walter is certainly the the flashier pick if you're looking at Baylor. And I was looking at like Joseph Tugler's stats for Houston. I, I they they were not impressive enough. I don't think really for him to even have, even come close to winning it. When you look at when you look at Walter in conference only play, he's at 12.9 points per game which, again, is actually lower than Johnny Furphy in the 11 games in which he started in conference play. Now, of course, with Furphy, you do, you do, if you lump in those two other conference play, it drops him down to 12.1, but he didn't start those games. When you look at Walter, he started all of his games. And Walter, his three-point shooting in conference play has been really rough. Really rough. Down to he's down to twenty four percent in conference only play, which seems hard to believe, but that's that's exactly what it is. I mean, when you look at his conference only numbers, he did go. He went four of fourteen against West Virginia from three. Three of seven against Texas back on January twentieth, but in every other game he's made only one, and he's made zero once. So 
his three-point percentage is not there overall. And I think there could be a case to be made for Johnny Furphy, depending on how he finishes out the season for Kansas, which if you want to circle back to the Kevin McCuller discussion, you would think that no McCuller opens up the opportunity for Furphy to expand his scoring prowess down the stretch here for Kansas, and they may need him to if they want to win. That could be the real bigger issue is that they may they they just need him to do they need him to do that. So I, I don't know. It's an interesting discussion to have. When you look back at previous uh freshman of the year winners over the last five years in the Big Twelve, you got Keontae George, who won it last year, and Keontae George was at just under sixteen points per play, points per game in conference play, shot around thirty four and a half percent from three in conference play. And I know, you know, Big 12 fresh, Freshman of the Year, it's obviously more, more than just points per game matters, but certainly that is one of the, you know, one of the key indicators. You go to 21-22, Tyrese Hunter, a player that actually Kansas is going to see coming up on Saturday. He's now with Texas. Uh, so he's the guy that they will uh, see on Saturday coming up here. So he in 2021-22 at Iowa State averaged only just 11.3 points per game in conference play. And I don't know, I kind of want to look at conference play specifically because I think that probably, I think that to me that would be one of the major criteria. It's like if you win, if you want to win freshman of the year in the conference, conference only play I think to me should be weighted heavier than overall. So that's why I just was looking at conference play numbers for these other players. So Tyree Center was at 11.3. In 2020-21-21, Cade Cunningham averaged over 20 points per game in conference play, so kind of a no-brainer there. In 2019-20, it was uh, Jameis Ramsey, the uh, freshman from Texas Tech, who averaged 14.5 points per game in conference play. And then you go all the way back to 2018-19, it was Jackson Hayes, who averaged 10.3 points per game in conference play. So if you're if you're not going to be the number one pick, like Cade Cunningham was, if you're in the low teens or even you know just above 10 you're probably going to be in consideration and obviously that's exactly where Furphy is again Furphy right now when you look at the games he's only started he's above Jacoby Walter right now in conference only play now obviously what else matters is the fact that well how'd your team do if Baylor ends up finishing ahead of Kansas or even wins the Big 12 which is still I think on the table for them to a certain extent then that's probably going to influence it. But uh, I just thought it was interesting because Furphy is a guy, and I want to kind of get more into this later on in the show, also in the 5 o'clock hour. Furphy is a guy who, relative to his expectations, I think he's I think he's been significantly better than maybe what people at Kansas, maybe what people expected him to be. I mean, I think there was a sense that he was going to be a, a good player, but for him to come in and work his way into the starting lineup, and play the way that he has in conference play, I think is probably uh, overachieving compared to what maybe people thought he was going to be at this at this stage. At least that's kind of how I feel. I mean, I think when he when he joined the team, I don't, I don't, I personally didn't expect him to to do what he's done so far for Kansas in terms of getting into the starting lineup and making the plays and and scoring the way he has uh, to this point in the season. So that's. That's pretty surprising to me. And then another guy to keep an eye on is is uh, 
Milan Montilovic from Iowa State. He he's certainly someone you want to keep an eye on as well, especially if Iowa State is a team that ends up going on to uh, to win the Big Twelve. And you look at Montilovic's stats in in conference play. You know, Montilovic is a guy that I think is has gotten a lot of praise for his play. His numbers don't really jump off jump off the page though. Just ten point two points per game, under thirty percent from three in conference only play. Now, overall for the season, he's at thirty eight percent from three and almost twelve points per game. So this would be a guy where, if Iowa State maybe does win the Big Twelve, it's a situation where you might see what see what see what he's done for for the whole season, and say, okay, maybe this guy, maybe this guy deserves it. So he's somebody to keep an eye on as well. I think at this point it's probably down to Walter Momchilovich and, and probably Furphy in there as well. Again, I think Furphy it's almost it's almost out of his hands a little bit because it'll just kind of depend on how things play out down the stretch here with where Kansas finishes in conference play and on top of that where and these other where you know if Iowa State goes on and wins or if Baylor whatever you know that certainly would impact I think how this would. Uh, this would play out, but I don't know. I think it's, I think it's, there's a case to be made there for Johnny Furphy and the way that he has been playing. You look at uh, some of the advanced metrics. Momchilovich is the guy that advanced metrics really like a lot. He's, he's actually, he's actually rated as the 24th highest player in the conference uh, on Evan Miyakawa's site. And uh, Walter is in, Walter is number 14 by those numbers. And if you're looking for Furphy, I don't even think if he's in the top 50 right now in terms of uh, his rating for uh, for Kansas. And again, that's probably that could be skewed just because of the fact that he hasn't played necessarily uh, as as much in terms of a starter. Let's see, yeah, Furphy is actually he's 51 when you look at Miyakawa's uh, BPR, OPR, OBPR ratings. Uh, for the entire conference, and again compared to the other two guys, he's he's a bit behind them. But I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like Furphy again. The way he's played here since starting, it could be enough if he continues to play at that level to be a guy where, yeah, well, maybe you maybe you put him in that discussion. You know, maybe you put him in that discussion. And, and again, circling back to no Kevin McCuller potentially for Kansas, I think that would certainly put McCuller in a position to where if he's able to perform at a high enough level filling in for McCuller if he can't go and having more opportunity probably to score then that could further help him if in that race now obviously we talked to Trey Slotty yesterday from the Kansas City Star and and I think from Furphy's standpoint I doubt he cares about the freshman of the year he's more focused on on KU as a team and everything and that's that's good to hear but you know, as we get more closer to the end of the season and people start to think about, okay, what's this What's this Kansas team possibly going to look like in 2024-25? Furphy right now, I think, is probably, I mean, you have Hunter Dickinson and then Furphy, I think, right is right there with, okay, if he sticks around versus, versus going to the NBA potentially, that could be very significant. Very, very significant. And part of that is, well, what if he continues to play well and does win freshman of the year? And, you know, there was a, a SB Nation had another mock draft with Furphy in it as a lottery pick. 
So he could, he's continuing to to show up on the, in those areas. And I think Trey Slada pointed this out. Furphy's got a lot of what NBA scouts look for. And, you know, the NBA, we always talk about it, the NBA drafts off potential. Furphy's potential looks like it is very, very high, right, when you consider everything that he can do. So I'm sure that intrigues certainly some NBA teams. And especially if you get a better look at more of everything Furphy can do with if Kevin McCullough is unable to go on Saturday or going forward. I mean, I think to kind of put a bow on that McCullough thought and conversation, to me at this point, I think you almost have to expect that Kevin McCullough is, is probably not going to play in every game of the NCAA tournament for Kansas. I mean, I don't know. That may be too extreme of a thought, but like, Given how it seems to be sort of the up and down nature of this injury, I, I get the sense, and at this point, I would almost say, "Hey, if you're Kansas and you're able to get a two or a three seed, maybe don't even play him in the first round, and ho- and you can get through, you know, whoever your opponent is in the first round without him, because if he's if it's going to be a situation where it's like, hey, you're going to get, you know, one game." out of him potentially and that could be it you better make it count right you better make it count uh because it i I don't know it just doesn't seem like he's going to be a guy that that you're going to be able to play every single game here going forward and i mean if certainly if if we're talking here on thursday and it sounds like he bill self is not sure if mcculler is going to be able to play coming up on saturday and again this is your last week of the season with having just one game That that's concerning. That's concerning to say the least. So uh, we'll take a time out here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Graham Doran of Graham Doran Bracketology is going to join the show in less than fifteen minutes here on RCST. Coming up, a little update on KU men's golf. They had a pretty impressive performance. We'll talk about that coming up on the other side. In the four o'clock hour, we'll get into some KU women's basketball talk as well as uh, looking around the rest of the Big Twelve. And uh, we'll get to that Bill Self audio probably on tomorrow's show. Uh, as he wrapped up speaking with the media literally about 15 minutes ago. We're, we're going to get to KJ Adams, though. He spoke with the media earlier on in the afternoon. We'll get to that coming up in the 5 o'clock hour as well. So plenty more KU basketball talk and more coming up here on RCST. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, and a little bit change in the schedule. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, is going to join us on tomorrow's show. He normally comes on Thursdays, but he'll be coming up tomorrow. And so right now, our normal Friday guest, Graham Doran, he's uh, switched up and coming on here on a Thursday. Graham, uh, thanks so much for hopping on here, as always. And uh, it was, I would say, a bit of a wild weekend and wild earlier in the week as well in regards to the NCAA tournament bracket and everything. You have the committee giving their top 16 on Saturday, and then immediately after that, Purdue loses, and then UConn goes and loses as well after getting a big win against Marquette. Uh, based on kind of the results of the weekend and earlier this week, which to you was maybe the craziest one in terms of shaking up what the committee had as their initial top 16 on Saturday? Yeah, I think the the craziest switch up that's happened so far uh, is the result of Creighton really kind of controlling from start to finish their game at home in Omaha against UConn. Uh, I had Creighton outside of the top 16 at the reveal, just like the committee did. 
but they've quickly moved up to a number three seed for me. So I have Creighton all the way up to the three line as a result, not just of that win over UConn, but also going on the road and beating a very good Butler team. I think both of those wins will really resonate with committee. So Creighton's a team we did not even see in the entire top 16 and now I actually have them on the three line replacing Baylor, who I, I still think has a three seed quality resume, uh, but there's only enough spots for four teams on each line. And I think when you look at Alabama, Iowa State, Duke, and Creighton, uh, those are all three seed quality resumes as well. And somebody had to go. I think the Bears, following their loss to Baylor, are now down to my top four seed. And last week you had mentioned that the number one overall seed was basically Purdue's to lose. Well, they went out and they kind of tested that theory that you mentioned. They go and lose to Ohio State. Do you think they still could, could claim the number one seed with UConn losing? Or what, where do you view the number one overall seed right now? Yeah, I think right now pretty clearly Purdue is the overall number one seed because of UConn's loss. Had UConn went on the road and beaten Creighton, I do believe it would have been UConn uh, that would be occupying the current overall number one seed. Uh, but unfortunately for the Huskies, that loss was pretty ugly. Um, and I think Purdue has done so much that UConn really needed to be a step above uh, when it came to having a better uh, Q1 record against Quad 1. And now they're both 9-3, and three, but Purdue's wins are just so much better. Uh, Purdue is 6-0. and zero against Quadrant 1A, that very, very top end of the bracket. Uh, by comparison, Connecticut's only 5-2. and two. So I think Purdue has a pretty clear edge for the overall number one seed right now. And I actually think Houston, courtesy of their victory over Iowa State, is now the number two overall seed. I think they've passed UConn. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Houston because I was going to ask about them. They also have another big game coming up against Baylor on the road coming up on Saturday. If they win that game, are they maybe in the best position to potentially usurp Purdue at this point down the stretch? Yeah, I think they would be. And in fact, I think I would move Houston to number one overall at that point. Uh, We'd be talking about two different teams with three losses. Purdue would still have more uh, quality wins than Houston would. Purdue is 16 and three against the first two quadrants, whereas uh, Houston is 11 and three. But I think the big difference there would be just the the really quality wins that Houston's gathered uh, here in Big 12 play, and then adding that to the best efficiency metrics in the country. I think uh, right now Houston is number one in both BPI and Ken Palm and the net uh, as well. But I I think what would really change in that scenario is not only is Houston now having the best efficiency, but you could argue their wins are as good or close to as good as Purdue's. And I think when you look at that difference in efficiency and the dominance Houston's had, uh, I think Houston would actually just barely pass Purdue in that scenario, but it'd be really, really close. With all this shuffling of one seeds and even teams on the kind of the two seed line, how do you think this has all affected Kansas, really? The Jayhawks didn't have a game in the middle of this week, but how do you think this has all kind of affected KU uh, heading into this weekend? Well, I think the big difference for KU's uh, path and trajectory for seeding purposes was last Saturday when they picked up that big win against Oklahoma. I think that was the big hole the Jayhawks had in their resume was not having a quality road win. I mean, you could maybe argue at Indiana's a semi-quality road win, but it wasn't a great road win. This Oklahoma victory does qualify 
as truly a, a very strong road win uh, over a single-digit seed. And the Jayhawks and Purdue are now the only two teams in the country to have six wins against Quadrant 1A, that very top of the bracket. So the Jayhawks are, are really going toe-to-toe with Purdue for having the best collection of wins in the country. And I'd actually say the Jayhawks might have uh, more high-end wins uh, than Purdue arguably as well, just based on uh, having those victories over Connecticut and Houston as well. So uh, I would say the Jayhawks now are are up to my fifth overall seed, the closest two seed to being a number one seed. Uh, I think KU's really got it all to play for as they head into this crucial stretch. Yeah, and you think about where the committee had them on Saturday. I believe they had them as their eighth seed, right? I think they had uh, them as the, the, eighth, the eighth seed, the, number, the last number two seed at that point. When you look at some of the other two seeds that are in that discussion, Tennessee, North Carolina, Marquette, how do you think KU maybe stacks up against those other two seeds right now? Uh, I would say it's very close with Kansas, Tennessee, and UNC. Uh, I think the difference for Kansas over Tennessee is just that head-to-head neutral court win. I think when the committee met, there was enough of the uh, difference between Tennessee and Kansas that they felt comfortable having Tennessee ahead of the Jayhawks. That's how I had it as well. But now that they're really comparable, I think that head-to-head win matters. And I also think UNC's head-to-head win against Tennessee matters. Where it comes down to Kansas versus North Carolina for who has a better position, uh, it's notable that the Jayhawks are fourth in strength of record, whereas North Carolina is ninth in strength of record. Both teams are six and four against quadrant one, five and one against quadrant two, and four and one against quadrant three. But the big difference is again Kansas having those six quadrant one A victories. North Carolina only has three of those. Yeah, and I think when you talk about that, what's most frustrating, especially when you look at like Purdue from the Kansas perspective, is you think about the fact that if KU was able to take care of business in a couple of their easier road games, you could be talking about Kansas as being a potential number one overall seed at this point, right? Absolutely. I think it's it's not really the tough road games that are going to haunt the Jayhawks. It's letting those UCF, West Virginia, and Kansas State games go. Uh, those were all games that the Jayhawks had in control at one point or another. They let them slip away. And unfortunately for Kansas, every game matters. And I think those wins definitely uh, would have helped. Overall, from that uh, Saturday review of the committee, what what was maybe your biggest surprise or the thing that maybe caught your attention the most from that initial 16 that they put out on Saturday? Uh, The biggest surprise to me was North Carolina showing up as the fifth overall seed. I had North Carolina as my eighth overall seed. I thought it was really close between Kansas and North Carolina for who should be eighth and who should be seventh. Uh, What really caught my attention was, was the Tar Heels being so high up the bracket, but I do wonder, uh, I have no way to verify this, but I, I believe that the committee may have been looking at some slightly outdated metrics uh, with KPI and strength of record when they evaluated uh, those resumes on Wednesday morning. And I think that may be why North Carolina was so high up the bracket. I would not put too much stock in North Carolina being the team closest to being the number one seed there, uh, because I do believe they could have potentially been looking at some outdated metrics when they made that determination. Last week when we talked about what the committee was going to release in the top 16, you kind of mentioned how maybe this could affect teams even even outside the top 16. Who do you think maybe got affected the most by basically kind of what the committee put together from the top 16 that could be affected further down the bracket? I would say the entire Mountain West Conference. San Diego State being in the top 16 was not a surprise to me. 
Uh, I had San Diego State just outside of the top 16. I had Clemson in instead. That was the, the one team I didn't have in that the committee did. But I, I was not surprised to see San Diego State in the top 16. I was surprised to see them 14th overall. Uh, the fact that they were so high up uh, into this bracket makes me believe that not only San Diego State has respect, but the Mountain West in general probably has more respect than we might be thinking the committee would give them. So uh, I think really good news for the Mountain West and their chance of getting six tournament bids. Yeah, and we talked about the Mountain West and kind of what what's happening with them. I guess beyond that, you think about those teams all getting in, what are some teams for maybe the other Power Six that that negatively affects if the Mountain West is able to get more teams in from uh, maybe the non-Power Six? Yeah, I think really my attention right now is on a few different teams uh, and in a few different conferences. Uh, first off, I'd say I think the ACC is going to get Duke and North Carolina and Clemson all in for sure. After that, I think Virginia's probably pretty safe, but they could still play themselves out of the tournament. There's a log jam behind them with Wake Forest and Virginia Tech and Pitt and Syracuse, teams that are all kind of hanging out in that bubble range. I think one of those teams is going to end up making the tournament. Uh, so I think the Mountain West respect could potentially uh, negatively impact the ACC by either cutting that down to one bid or potentially eliminating the bids altogether. It's, it's no guarantee that the ACC is going to get any of those bubble teams in. Uh, I also think that affects uh, the the SEC. When you have Ole Miss coming off this loss to Mississippi State last night, Ole Miss has terrific resume metrics. If you look at their resume metrics, you'd think they are for sure in the tournament. They are 35th in KPI, 24th in strength of record. That screams NCAA tournament. I'm not so sure. I don't really like the wins that they have so much. Uh, Florida at home is really their best win of the season. That's not that convincing. I think you could see Mississippi end up missing the tournament despite some great resume metrics if the Mountain West can get six bits. Well, speaking of the ACC or of the SEC, you look at Kentucky and the way that they lost last night against LSU. How much does that negatively? How much does a loss like that possibly negatively impact uh, Kentucky in the tournament? Yeah, I think it negatively impacts Kentucky for sure. Uh, I had the Wildcats up to a five seed in my last bracket, and I think that right now they're looking more like a six seed, uh, but potentially even a seven. It will depend on what the committee thinks about their losing record against quadrants one and two. Uh, they're actually only six and seven overall against quads one and two, and they do have that home loss to UNC Wilmington. So uh, Kentucky's resume is not quite as good as you might assume because there's been times Kentucky looks like a national champion and frankly there's been a lot of times they've lost yeah they've certainly been up and down and going back to Kansas here with, with the continued uncertainty of Kevin McCuller down the stretch here how much does an injury like that how much could an injury like that factor into the committee's decision where with a guy like Kevin McCuller even Bill Self said earlier this afternoon he's not sure if he's gonna be able to play against Texas if he's if his status is so uncertain even as Kansas heads to the NCAA tournament could that impact their seating at all, possibly, you think? Well, last year we saw the selection committee indicated that Bill Self having health issues uh, factored into them uh, being the number three overall seed as opposed to the number two overall seed. So absolutely, I think a key uh, injury like Kevin McCuller could negatively impact the Jayhawks seating. Uh, I think for Kansas, uh, they could look at that Texas Tech game and maybe give them a little leniency. The fact that the Jayhawks were still a number two seed despite that Texas Tech result uh, maybe indicates that the, the Jayhawks are getting some respect. But on the flip side, if Kevin McCuller is not healthy headed into the NCAA tournament, and the committee knows that, 
I could see the Jayhawks losing a seed line based on such a key injury. Realistically, how many Big 12 teams do you think at this point could get to the top 16? Is it just the four with Houston, Kansas, Baylor, and Iowa State, or is it anybody else, or could one of those teams possibly drop out, you think? Yeah, I think you you really kind of nailed it with the the four that I have my eye on. I think all four of those teams will ultimately end up in the committee's top 16. The one team that I'm kind of looking at as potentially joining them is BYU. Uh, BYU does not have as strong of resume metrics as you might think. Uh, They're 23rd in strength of record and 29th in KPI. But Net loves them. They're number 11 there. They're 16th and 15th in DPI and Ken Palm, respectively. And they do have some quality wins. They have four wins against Quadrant 1. Uh, depending on how BYU does to close this season, uh, I could definitely see the Cougars popping up into that top four seed territory. They will certainly have opportunities going on the road to both KU and K-State and Iowa State. If they were to win two of those three, uh, I could certainly see BYU getting up into the four-seed conversation. At this stage... What team do you think from a non-Power 6 has the chance to be the highest seed? I know Dayton's been a team that I think you've really enjoyed, but they just took a tough loss early in the week. At this stage, are they still maybe the team you're looking at as being the highest rated non-Power 6, or are there other teams you think that possibly could jump up into that discussion as well? Well, we already talked about San Diego State, and I think it's going to be the Aztecs. I think for a non-Power 6 league, uh, that's definitely the team uh, that will will most likely end up the highest-seeded team. Right now, 14th overall, according to the committee, and I think they probably will land a 4-seed overall, possibly a 5-seed, um, depending on how they finish, maybe even as high as a 3-seed. But we'll, we'll have to see. I think San Diego State will end up being that highest-rated non-Power 6 team. Yeah, we've talked so much about Mountain West. I I basically just grouped them in. I was like, oh, Mountain West, they're a power, they're a power conference at this point. So that kind of uh, slipped my mind there. But uh, when you look at the at the bubble overall, kind of talked about the ACC for the Big Twelve. You look at a team like Oklahoma. Uh, are they are they a surefire to be in at this point, or, or do you think possibly that they could miss out? Or even a team like Texas Tech. I mean, who are some of those Big Twelve teams you think that maybe right now could be on the right side, but eventually could flip over and possibly still miss the tournament? Well, I think it's possible for both Texas Tech and Oklahoma to miss the tournament, but I'd say Texas Tech is in more comfortable position than Oklahoma is at this point. I think Texas Tech is really kind of more worried about seeding, whereas Oklahoma has to go ahead and sew up that tournament bid. Uh, They travel to Oklahoma State. They go to Iowa State, home to Houston, home to Cincinnati, at Texas. That is a very difficult, difficult closing stretch for Oklahoma. And if you remember... Uh, they didn't do a whole ton of uh, positive outside and non-conference play. They beat Iowa on a neutral court. They beat UNC on a neutral court. Uh, they got Providence at home. That's about it for quality non-conference wins. And obviously, when you look at their Big 12 record, they're only 6-7. and seven. So I think Oklahoma is still in some real danger of missing the NCAA tournament. Uh, they're going to have to pick up a road win uh, over Oklahoma State, Iowa State, or Texas, and then potentially – old serve at home against Houston. Uh, That could be a crucial game for them uh, to pick up that win. So I think Oklahoma is probably going to make the NCAA tournament, but they are not a surefire uh, lock for tournament bid by any means. When you look at teams that are just outside the tournament right now, which which team do you maybe like the most that you feel like is on the wrong side of the bubble but should be in good position to possibly jump into the tournament? I think it's Wake Forest. Uh, Wake Forest just looks really good. Their problem is just 
not been getting quality wins. They have unfortunately struggled against Quadrant 1 and haven't played a whole ton of games against Quadrant 1. They've only played six games against Quad 1, and they're 1-5 in five in those games. But they don't have any bad losses. They're 6-0 and oh against both Quadrants 3 and Quadrant 4. So I think Wake Forest is definitely one of those teams. But there is another team in the ACC I have my eyes on as well. Uh, Wake Forest is going to travel to Virginia Tech next week. If Wake Forest, if, excuse me, if Virginia Tech can win at Pitt and then follow that up with a home win over Wake Forest, I think Virginia Tech will suddenly move into the field. Yeah, that win over Virginia, I mean, a crazy game, right? A rivalry game, and they, they win big like that. Did that kind of kickstart, you think, their campaign to possibly have an argument for the tournament? Yeah, I think they are. They already had the schedule set up for it. They getting Virginia and Wake Forest at home and Pitt on the road. Those are three quality win opportunities, but they're also not particularly tough for quality win opportunities. So I think that was a nice schedule set up for Virginia Tech. Obviously, they cleared the first hurdle uh, in dominating fashion over Virginia, and I think if they can win both the Pitt and Wake Forest games, which is very doable, uh, the Hokies I, I really believe are going to be headed to the NCAA tournament at that point. He is Graham Doran of Graham Doran Bracketology. Graham, let people know where else you can they can find out your work. And also, I know you guys have got that uh, special mock committee. Tell us a little bit more about that as well. Yeah, so it's a really exciting opportunity next week. There's farther We're going to be Once again, he is Graham Dorn of Graham Dorn, Dorn Bracketology. Graham, appreciate your time as always. Hopefully people can definitely go check out your work. Graham, appreciate your time and uh, enjoy your weekend, man. That was Graham Dorn from Graham Dorn Bracketology. I think our, our phone kind of broke up there at the end a little bit for him, but be sure to check him out on social media, on Twitter, Graham Dorn Bracketology. You can also find him on YouTube as well. Be sure to check out all of his great work. One hour down here on the show, two to go. We're going to get to some Chiefs talk, some K women's basketball talk, and more in the 4 o'clock hour, and also have a chance to hear from KJ Adams coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Almost half past four here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. And big news from earlier this afternoon, head coach Bill Self for the Kansas men's basketball team said that Kevin McCuller might not be available for the KU-Texas game on Saturday. We'll get more into that and more into previewing KU and Texas coming up on tomorrow's show on RCST. Uh, did want to come. Did want to discuss about KU on the women's side. They had a big game last night on the road in Waco against Baylor. Kansas was on a five-game winning streak, taking on the Bears. But unfortunately, in Waco, Baylor got the best of the Jayhawks. Sixty-nine to sixty-one was the final score. Kansas drops to fifteen and eleven overall, and they are now eight and seven in conference play. I mentioned it uh, on yesterday's show. This is a that that was a big game for KU because. They entered into yesterday as the third team out on the bubble of the NCAA Women's Tournament. And uh, so 
one of the first four out. And when you look at what KU has left on their schedule, they have some really good opportunities where their fate is kind of in their own hands. They kind of control their own destiny in a lot of ways to make the NCAA tournament because of the fact that for now three of their two of their last three games are against top 25 opponents. This one against Baylor was a big one because it was on the road. They have Kansas State coming up, who's a top 10 team, and Oklahoma, who's also in the top 25 as well. Uh, before And they also go at UCF in there, which UCF is near the bottom of the conference. So a loss against Baylor is not the end of the world for Kansas in terms of their NCAA tournament hopes, but it does put a lot of pressure on the Jayhawks to win at least one, and maybe they need to win both of these last two games against top 25 opponents with Kansas State and Oklahoma coming up. And this game against Baylor, it was a pretty tight game early. Baylor got a big run in the second quarter to give themselves kind of a comfortable halftime lead. It was pretty back and forth early, but Baylor ended up going into the halftime break up 9, 35-26 over Kansas. And the Jacks were kind of kept at arm's length for a good majority of the rest of the game. Uh, Kansas made a big push late in the game. They had a. They actually they made two separate pushes in the third quarter. They they got the lead down to two, with about two minutes left at forty seven to forty five. Baylor had a quick seven zero run though to make it fifty four forty five, and then late in the fourth, KU was down 13, 67 to fifty four. But they scored seven unanswered points to make it sixty seven sixty one after a, a couple three pointers. But that was as close as they got as Baylor ended up winning by eight in the game. And another huge game from Samaya Nichols, the star freshman for Kansas, 23 points to lead all scores in the game. She made 10 free throws, was 10 for 10 from the free throw line as well, 6 of 11 from the floor, an outstanding player for KU. And that's kind of one of my big takeaways from KU so far this season is even though it's been a season that they've underperformed relative to expectations, the emergence of Samaya Nichols would make you think, hey, this is – this is a program that, with Samaya Nichols as a cornerstone going forward, you think could still be trending in the right direction. But certainly, overall, Kansas not where they hoped they would be at this point in the season compared to at the beginning of the year when they were picked to finish third in the conference and had high expectations to possibly host in the NCAA tournament. At this point, Kansas is trying to fight and claw their way into the NCAA tournament. And a loss like this against uh, against Baylor certainly hurts them. So Nichols with 23 Zakiya Franklin had 15. It was a tough night for Holly Kurskeeter, 1 of 12 from the floor, 0 of 5 from 3. And Kurskeeter has really been kind of the linchpin of Kansas' success, I think, in in conference play, as especially their three-point specialist. You look at at games where in, in games where she has struggled from three, Kansas has generally had a hard time having a lot of success. You look at their last four losses now going back to Texas on January 16th. In the Texas game, she didn't hit a three. In the K-State loss in Manhattan on January 20th, she went one of seven from three. In the Oklahoma loss on Saturday, January 27th, she went 0 of three. And in this game against Baylor, she goes 0 of five. Versus when you look at their wins down the stretch here, especially as part of this five-game win streak, four of eight from three against TCU, five of nine from three against Cincinnati, Three of six from three against Bay- against uh, BYU. So she has really been kind of the key, I think, for Kansas, and they will need her to shoot the ball well down the stretch. She was so hot to start conference play, 
especially from three, then kind of dealt with that injury and went through a bit of a cold spell. I should say it's part of those a couple of those performances uh, for her, her skeeter. She was dealing with, with that knee injury that really negatively affected her, I think, or dealing with injury that negatively affected her. Then she came back against TCU, had a big game, and uh, had a big game against Cincinnati as well. 16 points against BYU. So I think I think Kerskeeter is probably the biggest X factor for Kansas here down the stretch. Because at this point, you know what you're going to get from Samaya Nichols. I think she's proven herself. Zakiya, between Zakiya Franklin and Yvette Mayberry, they, they both of those players can score pretty well. And then with Tyana Jackson, she's a player, only had eight points in this game against Baylor. But she's another player that you look to and you feel like you can expect her to be pretty reliable. So I think... Samaya Nichols is a, is a player to keep an eye on. or I think uh, Samaya Nichols, the freshman, as well as Holly Kerskeeter, is the player to keep an eye on for, for Kansas here down the stretch. And then also, this was, a, I believe, the second straight game for Kansas where they got zero points from their bench also. So nothing from their bench in this game against Baylor after a, I believe they didn't get any points from their bench either against, against uh, BYU. They got, they got four points from their bench against BYU, but zero points from the bench against Baylor. You know, we talk a lot about the men's team and their struggles on their bench. Well, again, for Kansas, on the women's side, zero, zero points from their bench in, in this game. And they only they eventually put up two shots with between Skylar Gill and, and Ryan Cobbins. So I don't know if that's a bit of a concern, but this is a starting five for KU that, again, I think if, her, if Kerskeeter is hitting from three, I think uh, they are in position to still – be one of the uh, top team in the conference and beat top teams in the conference. Kansas as a team, just 17% from three in this game, three of 17. And I think, again, you can look back to Kerskeeter as kind of being the the catalyst there for the success or uh, failure from three. So I think she's definitely a player that sh- uh, you want to keep an eye on. For Baylor, they got a big performance off their bench from uh, Edwards, who scored 20 points for them. But they, they didn't shoot the ball well from three, but they did do a good job rebounding. That rebounded Kansas by 12. And when we talked to Brandon Schneider earlier in the week, uh, the head women's basketball coach for KU, he basically did say that rebounding was going to be a big factor in this game uh, for KU. And I think that's probably what he would point to as one of the areas where where this game kind of got away from KU, which was on on the glass right, uh, in rebounding, getting out-rebounded by 12 overall in the game, especially in a road game as well. Because Kansas, you know, they, they made some, they made a few pushes here and there, but were not quite able to get over the hump, unfortunately. Got within two, but couldn't take the lead in the third quarter and then uh, put themselves in a bigger hole in the fourth, but did, did still fight, fought back, and had a chance to cut the lead even closer after they got it to six in the fourth, but couldn't get it any closer than that. So tough loss for Kansas. But again, I think even with this loss against Baylor, I think the Jayhawks definitely still control their destiny down the stretch here to still make the NCAA tournament. Uh, but you definitely need to win one, maybe two of these last two on uh, against top 25 opponents, considering they're both at home with Kansas State coming up on Sunday and Oklahoma being the last game of the season on March 2nd. Because if you're Kansas, you're going to get a chance to rack up some more wins in the in the Big 12 tournament. But if you win both these games, if you're able to win out and finish the season at that point, you'd be 18 and 11. You're sitting at 15 and 11 with three games left. If you can finish the season at 18 and 11, 
with those, especially with these two big wins to finish the season against the top 25 opponents in Kansas State and Oklahoma, you are probably in a position to where, assuming you don't lose in the like the first round of the Big 12 tournament, you're probably going to make the NCAA tournament at that point if you're Kansas. So, again, they control their destiny a little bit, but if you don't win out, and if you aren't able to win these last two at home, then you're putting yourself in a position where you might need to go and win a couple games in the in the Big 12 tournament to really solidify your slot in the NCAA tournament. You might be sweating it out come Selection Sunday. So uh, that that could be that's probably not a situation you want to be in if you're Kansas. And we'll see down the stretch here. As uh, uh, you know, you still look at Kansas. They have won six of their last eight games, so they are seemingly figuring things out at the right time, but. Need to keep it going down the stretch here with these last three games, especially with Kansas State and Oklahoma coming to Lawrence. And, of course, that game against Kansas State, that's coming up on Sunday. Might get into that a little bit more coming up on tomorrow's show. That's a uh, certainly a huge game with the Sunflower Showdown. And for Kansas State, they have Aoka Lee back, their star center, uh, will match up with Tiana Jackson. So that should be a fun one coming up on Sunday afternoon. And we'll probably dive into that a little bit deeper on tomorrow's show as well for the Kansas women's basketball team as they are pushing for the NCAA tournament. We'll take a time out here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I wanted to take kind of a broader scope around the rest of the Big 12 on the men's side heading into the weekend as Kansas on the men's side still fighting for a shot at the Big 12 regular season title potentially uh, sitting at 8-5 and five in the conference with a week off heading into this game against Texas on Saturday. Talk a little bit about that and more coming up on the other side. Got some KU basketball superlatives coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. And also, K.J. Adams met with the media early this afternoon. We'll get to that audio coming up. Bill Self spoke with the media early in the afternoon as well. Probably going to get to the entirety of that audio on tomorrow's show. Most notably, what I do want to touch on from what he said earlier this afternoon is, again, the, the, the uncertain status of Kevin McCuller heading into this game on Saturday against Texas. Certainly the biggest thing that he said, but... We'll get to the rest of everything else Bill Self had to say coming up on tomorrow's show as well as previewing KU and Texas. All that's coming up and more on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. And coming up after the show tonight, you'll be able to hear more from Kansas women's basketball head coach Brandon Schneider with a Hawk Talk coming up from 6 to 7 here tonight on KLWN. And also High School Sports Weekly will be coming your way after Hawk Talk from 7 to 8. You'll be able to hear Hawk Talk, or you'll be able to hear, I guess I should say, well, Hawk Talk from 6 to 7. Uh, High School Sports Weekly, we're going to be live from 6 to 7 at Mama's Tamale Shop. We're just going to be tape recording uh, the show to air on the radio from 7 to 8. So if you did want to hear it live, you can uh, stop by Mama's Tamale Shop at 602 West 9th Street to hear uh, to hear the uh, Free State Girls basketball team and the Baldwin High Boys basketball team live. But it will be airing here on KLWN from 7 to 8 coming up uh, tonight after the show. All right, looking around the rest of the Big 12, obviously for Kansas, no game this week for the Jayhawks as uh, they have their that one week off. And that... That actually helps because now it sets up to where every team, I believe, now in the Big 12, I think Kansas was the last one, every team in the Big 12 now has played the same number of games. We, we had that kind of weird thing where 
Baylor was like a game and a half in front of Kansas and whatnot, and Houston was like a game and a half, a game and a half ahead in Houston because it, it was every team had to cycle through their one week where they weren't playing a game, and Kansas was the last one, I believe. So now every team has now played 13 games up to this point in conference play, heading into this sort of final stretch push of these past couple of these next couple weeks. And as it stands, with no game for Kansas this week, some of the other results from around the conference, certainly that Monday game between Houston and Iowa State had big implications for the Big 12 title race. Texas beats Kansas State at home on Monday, 62-56 as well. Then on Tuesday night, you had uh, West Virginia taking down UCF in Morgantown. Texas Tech barely hung on to beat TCU. And we talked with Graham Dorn earlier in the show about teams like Oklahoma and Texas Tech. TCU is another team that is... Uh, kind of potentially in that bubble territory of the NCAA tournament. BYU beats Baylor in Provo on Tuesday night. And then last night there was a game, and it was Oklahoma State getting a big win on the road against Cincinnati. Uh, so the Cowboys now all of a sudden, Oklahoma State, they've, they've won two in a row. Don't don't look now, but they're hot, 12-14, and 14, red hot. So uh, that was the uh, results from last night. And then, of course, another full slate coming up on Saturday with uh, Kansas and Texas being the last game of the day. Baylor and Houston, a big game early, tipping off at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Kansas State hosting BYU. West Virginia is going to Ames. TCU hosting Cincinnati. UCF hosting Texas Tech. And uh, the Bedlam in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State. That's the whole slate of Big 12 coming up. But now when you look at the overall standings right now, Houston still on top, sitting at now at 10-3. and three. But... Uh, with the Cougars going to Waco coming up on Saturday, that could be really a defining game for the Big 12 title race down the stretch here. But again, and I think Kansas fans should probably be rooting for Baylor because of the fact that uh, you need Houston to drop a game and you get Houston again. But if Baylor does win that game against Houston, that then puts a lot that put that puts more pressure on Kansas to then be able to go beat Baylor and Waco also coming up uh, later on in the season. Uh, next next Saturday, March 2nd. That puts a lot of pressure on Kansas to win that game because if Baylor does win, that'll put them at 9-5, and five, and Kansas, if they're able to take care of business against Texas, will also be at 9-5. and five. So they'll be tied with Baylor, but Houston, more importantly, will drop a game down to 10-4 and four if that happens. And then you have to look at Iowa State possibly dropping another game. And again, with Houston, after this game against Baylor, their next three are Cincinnati at home, who just lost at home to Oklahoma State. At Oklahoma, nah. At, and then at UCF before they play Kansas at home. So if they're not going to lose against Baylor, the chances of them dropping one of those next three, I would say, are fairly slim, really, at this point. So you maybe need Baylor to possibly pull off that win if you're Kansas. You look at Iowa State sitting at 9-4. and four. They still have uh, a really, really favorable schedule. You know, Bill Self said so on Monday night before that game against Houston that, you know, a win for there, and you might put a bow on on the conference for Iowa State because they get back-to-back home games coming up against West Virginia on Saturday and then Oklahoma next week in Ames. Then they go at UCF, BYU at home, which that becomes an interesting game, I think, because BYU is, like uh, Graham Doran said earlier in the show, possibly playing themselves into like a top-16 seed even, really, with the way they're playing. And then Iowa State finishes the season at K-State, which... Uh, should be an interesting game considering what transpired when K-State went to Ames. And so it's that's kind of your top four. Texas Tech is still hanging around. They're also sitting at 8-5. and five. 
uh, after that win against TCU. They're still hanging around. The rest of their schedule is at UCF on Saturday, Texas at home, at West Virginia, and at Oklahoma State, and they finish up against Baylor. So, again, they could be a team, possibly, if they're able to take care of business down the stretch here, that, that could be fighting for a real shot at uh, make, making a case for the Big 12 title, potentially. Then you got BYU and TCU both sitting at 7-6. and six. But, again, BYU's been, I think, very, very impressive. And I'm really excited for that KU-BYU game, actually, in Lawrence. I think, uh, you know, you look at KU and they were unfortunate in some of their draws in terms of going to Iowa State, going to Texas Tech, not getting those teams back in Lawrence, having to play Baylor twice, Houston twice, uh, and and whatnot. But I think they maybe got a favorable a favorable schedule in the sense of not having to go to Provo because if you've watched any game for BYU in Provo, it looks like a very, very, very difficult place to play. And BYU uh, has been pretty good uh, overall at home this season. They did lose twice at home, though, uh, including to Iowa State, I think, actually, in, in Provo. But tough place to play, I think. And I think Kansas may be a little bit fortunate there. And then uh, you look at TCU at 7-6 and six as well in conference. Texas and Oklahoma was sitting at 6-7. and seven, And, again, those are two teams that, for Oklahoma, they are in the tournament. For Texas, it's it's close for them whether or not they are going to be in the tournament. Uh, I believe Joe Lenardi's latest bracket had them in, I think, maybe. I'm double-checking this here. He had them... Uh, yeah, I had them as an eight seed right now in his uh, in his late in his latest bracketology, but uh, I don't know. They could be another team to keep an eye on on the uh, bubble watch also down the stretch here. And when you look at the bottom half of the conference, the bottom I guess five of the conference, Oklahoma State and West Virginia looked like they were by far the two worst teams, and it was a real question of how they were going to win any games. Well, they're both four and nine. UCF is also 4-9. K-State's only 5-8, and eight, so Wildcats don't figure it out down the stretch. They could be looking at finishing in the cellar in the Big 12, which that would be a real shame, wouldn't it? And when you look at, well, when you look at K-State, they've got BYU and West Virginia, both at home, coming up. Sure, at home, fine. At Cincinnati, then at Kansas, and then Iowa State. So you're looking at, I would think, best case, you're looking at Two and three, maybe, maybe, possibly worse down the stretch for K-State. And that would just be a real shame, wouldn't it? That would just be a real shame. A real shame. So for Kansas, I think the the conversation pretty much stays the same for Kansas, which is you're going to have to win out to have a even an outside chance at winning the Big 12, and even then that might not be enough. But uh, when you look at Houston and when you look at uh, Iowa State, again, it's it's a little bit tough to poke holes, I think, in Iowa State and even really Houston too, especially if, especially if you don't beat them in Houston. Could be a tough conversation to have. But Kansas hanging in there. And, of course, I think the uh, by far the biggest news from today, Bill Self earlier on this afternoon speaking with the media ahead of the KU-Texas game. Uh, mentioned that Kevin McCuller, it's unclear if he's going to be available to play against Texas. The game is at home, so that probably makes you feel a little bit better if you're Kansas. But, man, that that uh, 
that storyline continues to pop up in so many different ways, and there's so many different angles you can look at it from as to what Kansas needs to do. But I think the bottom line is if if Kevin McCuller can't play, that certainly negatively impacts KU overall. And Graham Dorn even mentioned it uh, earlier in the show that, you know, Kansas, they, they got dinged a little bit for not having Bill Self to start the NCAA tournament. And if the same could be said for Kevin McCuller, they could be, get dinged in the seating as well there. And I mentioned earlier in the show, I, I think it's safe to say at this point that Kevin McCuller is probably going to not be playing in every single tournament game. I don't know how he can at this point when you consider you've had a week here after playing 35 minutes against Oklahoma. And again, going back and reviewing some of that game, Bill Self said he tweaked it, and I think you could maybe see it. And <clears throat> Kevin was able to play through it. Obviously, he still played and played majority of the second half, but, you know, in the game, if it's a if it's a pain tolerance thing, and the there you know the adrenaline of the situation allows you to kind of play through it, but then you know after the game or when you're trying to practice, it's it's you can't you don't have a lot of function. That's that's a real cause for concern. So I am certainly very worried about that uh, because I think it significantly lowers Kansas' ceiling, and kind of talked about it right like. If all five Kansas starters are, you know, 90, 90%, 95% healthy, they're a national championship contender. But you take away just one of those. And again, I, you know, Kevin McCullough is the one that's injured, but I think it's more of a fill-in-the-blank situation. You take away one of those guys, and that significantly, significantly lowers, I think, KU's ceiling heading into the NCAA tournament, which is very frustrating. Uh, because I think now over the past, there's been plenty of seasons for Kansas where you feel like if things don't go a certain way, they have a chance to compete, which I know it's, it's the NCAA tournament. So it's random, but kind of frustrating there. So I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll be sure to talk more about that and how it pertains to Texas in the short term coming up on tomorrow's show with uh, Kansas taking on Texas on Saturday. So we'll be breaking all that down. We're going to get to KJ Adams audio coming up at the five o'clock hour. He spoke with the media earlier in the afternoon before Bill Self did. Uh, we'll get to that Bill Self audio on tomorrow's show, I think, uh, to hear everything that he said uh, and, and as it pertains to Texas coming up on Saturday. So we'll probably get to the full Bill Self audio on uh, on tomorrow's show, and uh, we'll also have more on KUN Texas as well. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, also going to join the show tomorrow. Coming up in the 5 o'clock hour here, we'll get to KJ Adams, like I said, and also get to some KU basketball superlative uh, talk a little bit coming up in the 5 o'clock hour on the other side. Don't forget tonight, after the show, you'll be able to hear Hawk Talk with head women's basketball coach Brandon Schneider and also High School Sports Weekly coming up after the show from 7 to 8 here on KLWN. Two hours down, one to go. More KU Basketball Talk coming up next in the 5 o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Nick Springer from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting in a studio all day, my body feels great thanks to Massage Envy. Their total body stretch services can help you stay loose and limber and clear your mind and help your body. Their total body stretch services are completely customizable. All you have to do is sit back, relax, and breathe deep 
while they help you through the guided stretches. So if you've been dealing with aches and pains, be sure to check out Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Olathe. 5 o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer coming up tonight after the show. Hawk Talk with Brandon Schneider as that'll be on here from 6 to 7 after RCST tonight. And then from 7 to 8, you'll be able to hear High School Sports Weekly. We're actually going to be live at Mama's Tamale Shop with the Baldwin Boys Basketball Team and the Free State Girls Basketball Team. We're going to be live from 6 to 7 at Mama's Tamale Shop here in Lawrence. But because of the Hawk Talk with Brandon Schneider, we're going to be airing that from 7 to 8. So if you want to come hang out and listen to the show live from 6 to 7, you can do that at Mama's Tamale Shop here in Lawrence. Or you'll be able to uh, listen after the show, uh, after Hawk Talk with Brandon Schneider from 7 to 8 here for High School Sports Weekly tonight. Tomorrow night we'll have high school basketball coverage coming up with LHS hosting Gardner in a late season matchup. Girls tipping out 5.30, boys shortly thereafter around 7. You'll be able to hear both those games right here on KLWN as well. Of course, on Saturday we'll have your KU men's basketball coverage pregame at 3.30 for a 5 o'clock tip-off between KU and Texas. Speaking of Kansas men's basketball, wanted to get into a little bit of uh, some KU basketball superlatives here. As we are approaching the end of the season, I kind of take a trip down memory lane a little bit and see uh, maybe some of the different superlatives of KU so far this season as uh, they're coming down the stretch here in Big 12 play and pushing for the uh, conference tournament and the NCAA tournament. Uh, So for our superlatives here, let's start off with this. Just the biggest surprise from this season. Uh, I think for me, at least, one of the surprises, especially early in the season, was Kevin McCullough's three-point shooting. This is a guy that, for his career, was around a 30% three-point shooter his entire career. And he comes back to Kansas again this season. And, you know, I, I had kind of hypothesized earlier in the year that, you know, hey, if Kevin McCullough can get his percentage up to, like, 34% or around there, that would be pretty good, right? Well, early in the season, he was shooting at 38, 39, close to 40%, really, actually, for a good majority of the early of the season. And this kind of goes back to the negative of him not, of him sounding like it's not going to be able, he's not going to be able to be fully healthy again the rest of the season because since he started to deal with that injury, you've seen his numbers really drop off quite a bit. So that's a bit unfortunate, I think, from that standpoint that we may not get to see Kevin possibly have that level of efficiency shooting early, as, as he did early in the season, but... That was certainly a big surprise for me early in the season. I definitely was not expecting Kevin to be shooting the ball that well from the perimeter uh, early in the season. And again, it's just kind of a bummer because I don't know. I, I, I have questions about whether he's going to be able to get to that percentage again or that efficiency again down the stretch here if he's having to deal with this ongoing uh, knee and bone bruise issue that he has. So it is a concern, but certainly early in the season, I think that was a big surprise. Also kind of threw Johnny Furphy in here as, as a big surprise. You know, I guess it was hard to really gauge the expectations for Furphy coming into the season, really, and what, what to expect from him. You know, a guy coming from Australia, uh, certainly a late addition to the team, and kind of what he could be. But I think it's safe to say that he's probably surpassed all expectations at this point, I would think. I, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe 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 others were thinking that he could he could do this kind of stuff but kind of like we talked about earlier in the show i mean this is a guy that has now played himself into a position where he could have a case for big 12 freshman of the year which i don't think that was in the cards really at all uh to start the season so i i throw furphy on there as as biggest surprise as well for KU those are probably the two that jump out to me immediately right away when when thinking about this of of biggest surprises so far this season I think maybe you could also point to KU's three-point shooting or lack thereof, just in the sense of, you know, like we talked about early in the season, or preseason really, you know, we had conversations about KU shooting 23s per game, 
And I think it just really surprised that they haven't done that, right? Or maybe that, maybe in hindsight, that should have been expected, I guess, a little bit. But yeah, I don't know. Biggest surprises. In terms of uh, the biggest disappointments, I think there's a couple good options here for a biggest disappointment so far this season for KU. Immediately, you jump to El Marco Jackson and/or Nick Timberlake. Uh, you know, for for El Marco. Uh, you know, I, I understand he was a McDonald's All-American. He was the number 21 ranked player in the class coming in. And I, I just I wonder if the Arterio Morris stuff maybe pushed too much pressure and too much expectations onto El Marco this season. Because I think it would look a lot different if that if uh, Arterio was on the team at this point. So, I don't know, maybe it's a bit unfair to say he was the biggest disappointment just because maybe the expectations were a bit unfair for him coming in. But certainly he just, you know, there's been flashes, but not enough, right? I mean, you go back and think about, like, the Wichita State game he had. That was certainly a big flash for him. But overall, it's it's been uh, tough sledding for him this season, really, in terms of relative to expectations. And I think Nick Timberlake has also got to be one where you say big, a big disappointment as well. Uh, so far this season, because he, again, build as a kind of the opposite of Kevin McCullough, right? Build as a as a forty plus percent three point shooter and comes in and is shooting thirty percent, and that's just not what you expected, right? I mean, uh, this is another thing where early in the season I kind of discussed how if Timberlake came in and shot thirty four, thirty five percent from three, you probably would have been disappointed with that, even considering what you were hoping he you were going to get from him, and yet here he is shooting under thirty percent at this stage of the season. So definitely his three point shooting you can put on there. Also think just the road struggles in general for Kansas. You could throw that under biggest disappointment. You know, I mean, this Kansas could be really in the driver's seat for a Big 12 title right now if they were able to win against UCF or West Virginia, right? You look at both those games. If both those games go the other way for Kansas, you're looking at them being in the driver's seat, right? And instead you let those slip away, which I think is uh, certainly a disappointing thing because we talked about to start the season, especially the Big 12 play for KU, that was their easiest part of the schedule, and they stumbled a couple times early on, and that really hurt them. You know, even look at the KC game, I and mean, that's three games on the road for Kansas where you kind of feel like KU could have won and maybe should have won. Certainly, two of those with UCF and K State. With the West Virginia game, maybe it's maybe you could say, okay, well, because of how West Virginia played, maybe they kind of deserved to win that one. But still, the road struggles I think were disappointing or have been disappointing for KU. Now, they get a big win against Oklahoma. They have a chance to maybe rewrite that script, right? If you go and – especially if you go and you end up beating Baylor and Houston on the road to end the season, that would get you to 4-5 and five, uh, in road games, which all things considered, I think 4-5 and five, you would take that. You just probably would have expected that four of, some of your four wins would have been those UCF and West Virginia games and not the Houston and Baylor games, but you probably end up taking that. So I guess KU has a chance to maybe rewrite the script on that one, but certainly Timberlake, El Marco – uh, and then, you know, when you think about Timberlake and Omarco, I thought about I typed my initial reaction for the biggest disappointment was just the bench in general. But there's other categories of this that we're going to get into where I think it's not you can't just blanket and say the bench has been bad. I think you do have to sort of isolate. Okay, Timberlake and Omarco specifically for our biggest disappointment so far this season. Most improved player so far this season. I kind of want to put Johnny Furphy in this category as well. I mean, I think earlier in the year, like kind of like I talked about, you could have said Kevin, but. I kind of want to put Johnny Furphy in there. You look at like KJ Adams and his numbers talked about this have really kind of been the same actually uh, this season compared to last season. So, I, I mean, I think he's improved as a player and I think he's definitely a better player, but maybe it hasn't necessarily showed up in, in the counting stats and whatnot. So, I don't know. I'd probably go with Johnny Furphy here as well, I would think, for, for most improved player up to this point in the season just from where he was to where he where he was or where he we expected him to be coming in versus where he is now. Uh, in terms of most clutch player, you know, I really, really trumpeted, especially earlier in the season, Kevin McCuller as being 
that go-to guy, right? You know, last season it was Jalen Wilson for somebody when you just need a bucket and this guy can go and get it. And Kevin McCuller, I thought, early in the season really proved in a number of games that he could be that guy. But now since the injury, you know, I do have some more questions. But then you look at the Oklahoma game. It's a tie game. Kevin McCuller hits a big three. You know, he was 2 of 8 from 3 in the game, but he hits a big three and when it when it seemingly mattered most to give KU the lead. So I, I kind of want to still think, still say Kevin's your most clutch player because you look at, like, Dewan Harris, I guess maybe. I don't know if there's really a case there. Hunter Dickinson, I don't know if there's really a case there. I, I do feel like at this point it's probably still Kevin, and I think probably – when you get to, when we get to the NCAA tournament and KU needs a bucket, I still think Kevin McCuller would be the guy that they want to get the ball to to try and go score. I guess maybe work, work through him or Hunter, but I I still believe in Kevin McCuller as being the the clutch guy. So I'll go with Kevin McCuller on that one. Uh, most reliable, Mister Reliable, so far this season. I think there's two options. Uh, number one being Hunter. I think Hunter Dickinson. You could probably put him in that category, right? You know, uh, Matt Tate kind of talked about this earlier in the week with Hunter Dickinson where he's he's not always necessarily going to feel like he's just completely dominating a game or taking over a game, but you look up and he's got 20 and 15, 20 and 14, 18 and 12, whatever. He's just kind of that type of player, that reliable player that, and I think it's when KU gets in the ball, good things happen, right? So he, I think he's very reliable. I also sneaky want to throw in Parker Brown for this, and I understand maybe you're thinking oh, Parker Brown. Really, here's why. In terms of roles for this team, Parker Brown may do his role the most consistently out of anybody on the team. Come in for eight to ten minutes a game, if that, to spell Hunter Dickinson. Don't need to score. Don't need to necessarily do a whole lot. Just you know, hold hold it down for that time period. And I think Parker Brown is really, like I said, I think in terms of what he's asked to do, he probably does it at a more consistent rate than anybody else on the team in terms of what his what his sort of job is to do, right? Uh, so I do kind of want to throw Parker Brown in there for <laughs> Mr. Reliable, Mr. Reliable guy that you could uh, that you could lean on. Uh, okay, in terms of the best win so far this season for Kansas, I think there's. One obvious choice, probably, but you could maybe make a case for a couple others. I think it's got to be Houston at this point, right? Houston comes to Allen Fieldhouse. They've got the best defense in the country, one of the best statistical defenses in the last 20 years of college basketball, and you shoot 70% against them and really, really do an excellent job. It's an offensive clinic for you if you're Kansas taking down Houston. Certainly it was a huge win over a top-five team, and the significance of it in conference play, the significance of Houston making their first trip to Lawrence as a conference opponent, I think that's probably got to be the clear-cut best win so far this season. Other candidates, though, I think obviously you got to look at the UConn game, right? Matchup of the past two national champions. That's certainly, a, a, I think, a game you look at and say, okay, this is probably your best, one of your better wins because of the fact that UConn looks like they are probably one of the favorites again this season. I know they just lost by 20 early in the week, but probably still one of the favorites up to this point in the season, you would think. So that's certainly a big win. And then I kind of want to sneaky maybe throw Tennessee in there as as one of the better wins for Kansas. You think about that, you know, you're in you're in Hawaii, you lose kind of badly to Marquette, and you get a big bounce back win against Tennessee. So sneaky kind of want to throw Tennessee in there. I think that's a win that you look back, and it's not going to be one that you remember immediately. But then you think, man, back in November. This, they, they, those boys beat Tennessee, and Dalton Connect is dropping practically 30 points a game on most teams in SEC play. So 
that might be sneaky, one of the better wins, maybe one of the best wins. But I, I do think it's pretty clear cut that it probably is. It probably is Houston as your best win at this point. And depending on how things play out down the stretch, you know, unless you are able to win on the road against Houston, that Houston win will probably be your best win overall, really, heading into the postseason. So uh, that's certainly probably your top win. In terms of uh, other superlatives, a couple other here, a couple of others here. Best dunk. I think the best dunk is also pretty clear. It's got to go to Nick Timberlake against Oklahoma State. That dunk gets him on Sports Center at number two, number three, I think, on Sports Center. Seemed like a, it was a pretty special moment there. You think back, I mean, KJ Adams had, you could go through a longer laundry list of, of KJ Adams dunks. Furphy's also had some great dunks as well. Uh, he also had a big dunk, actually, in transition against Oklahoma State as well, like at the very beginning of the game also. But, I mean, listen, if your dunk is getting you on Sports Center in the top five, I think that automatically qualifies you for being uh, best dunk of the year so far for uh, for KU. So I, I like that one. I like best dunk of the year for KU for Timberlake on uh, on Oklahoma State. I mean, just just absolutely posterized the guy. So I think that's well deserved for uh, for Timberlake in terms of MVP, most viable player so far this season. Gosh, I mean, we've had the a lot of discussions about who the most important player is for KU, and is it Kevin McCuller or is it uh, you know somebody else? I, I think. I think at this stage, most valuable player, I mean, I know Kevin McCuller leads the conference in points per game, but I feel like you'll, I mean, Hunter Dickinson's right there, man. You almost have to go with him. I don't know. It's it's an interesting discussion because Hunter Dickinson has has really been there for KU throughout the season. You know, he's only had, he's had a few, a handful of bad games, but he's been been there with Kevin McCuller. In terms of MVP, I don't know. I mean, you think about Hunter Dickinson being KU's second highest rated defensive player, only behind Kevin McCuller. It's a tough conversation because I think with Kevin getting those injuries, you wonder if that kind of eliminates him from this this equation. I'll take Hunter Dickinson, I guess, at this point. I mean, I'll ride, I'll ride with my boy here. I'll take Hunter Dickinson as maybe the most viable player so far this season for KU. But I think down the stretch, it may need to be Kevin McCuller, uh, especially considering his injury. So I don't know. It's it's interesting. I think uh, I think Hunter Dickinson though gets it for me. One final category I have here is the uh, the best Bill Self moment. Best Bill Self moment of the season. You look back, and he's really been fairly tame this season. You know, I wonder if uh, maybe that's part of his, uh, you know, you think about the, the health issues that he had at the end of last season, and maybe, you know, hey, be a little bit be a little bit more tame, be a little bit more calm maybe. I don't know if that's part of it. Maybe there's some, some namaste going on there for Bill Self. But uh, best Bill Self moments, I think there's a couple that jump out. Number one, you go back to the Houston win. Anytime there's fist pumps involved, I think you got to go. You, that's got to be up there, right? Uh, it's a pretty iconic at this point, Bill Self thing to give give the fist pumps, the fist pumps. Uh, if it's a big win for Kansas, that's almost that's almost how you gauge whether or not it's a big win or not, right? Like if it's a big win, you know Bill Self's going to be uh, doing the fist pumps. If it's not a big win, then he's not, you know, you know. So that's 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 always a good gauge of like, okay. How significant of a win was this? How big of a game was this for Kansas? And uh, what what did it mean to get that win? So uh, that that's got to be on there. I think I think getting ejected has to be on there, right? I mean, he it's never done it before. It's never happened before uh, in his career. And you know, I will say I think it's a little unfortunate because the manner in which he got ejected, it was I don't know, did he really get his bang for his buck? Probably not, right? So uh, just I mean, I think it was a bit of a joke how he got ejected, right? I mean, just a complete joke. Just what a joke, right? Getting ejected that way. I mean, you might as well get your money worth, and I don't know that he necessarily completely did for uh, for that in that particular case. You know, I mean, you you, you if you want if you want to get ejected, right? This is always the narrative with Bill Self is you want to 
you want to get a technical, you want to get ejected, make it worth something, right? Fire up the team, do something like that. So, But I think that's got to be up there. I mean, it's again, it's something that's never happened in his entire career at Kansas. I think that that certainly needs to be uh, uh, near the near the top of the list as well. Those are the those are the top two I think for me. I think maybe you might have to go with the double the double fist pump beating Houston, but also when you do something that you've never done in twenty you know over twenty years as a coach at a, at one school at Kansas, getting ejected that's uh, man that's probably got to be up there as well. I don't know, might go with getting ejected on this one to be honest. For uh, for this uh, for KU basketball superlatives here, best Bill Self moment. All right, coming up on the other side, we're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll have a chance to hear from a couple KU basketball players ahead of the KU and Texas game coming up on Saturday at Allen Fieldhouse. Of course, you'll be able to hear that game right here on KLWN. Pre-game coverage at 3.30 with tip-off 5 o'clock, KU and Texas. We're going to have a chance to hear from some players coming up next, and then on tomorrow's show, we'll also get into what Bill Self had to say earlier in the afternoon as well ahead of this matchup between KU and Texas. That's coming up on the other side. Don't forget, if you missed anything from today's show, you can check it out on the Best of RCST podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, including at KUSports.com, presented by Massage Envy. Don't forget, tonight after the show, Brandon Schneider, Hawk Talk from 6 to 7, High School Sports Weekly from 7 to 8 as well, tonight right here on KLWN. We'll take a timeout. KU Player Audio coming up next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it here on the podcast side here on the Best of RCSD podcast. Thanks so much for listening in. And, of course, if you do want to hear the full show, you can listen every day, 3 to 6, Monday through Friday, for Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You are only daily KU-centric sports radio show that you'll find every day from 3 to 6 on KLWN. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Thanks so much for listening to the Best of RCSD podcast presented by Massage Envy. You can also find us on KUSports.com as well. Be sure to check out the live show every day from 3 to 6 on KLWN. Thanks for listening.